Welcome to the Winner's Playbook with Steve and Josh. Disclaimer, the information contained in this podcast is general in nature and does not take into account your personal circumstances. Please head to the show notes if you wish to book a free 15-minute call to discuss your personal situation. Okay, welcome back to the Winner's Playbook. My name is Steve Sloan. I'm here with my colleague and co-director, Josh Lee. Josh, another big week. Uh, as normal, mate, what was your key items for this week in your financial world? Big week, big week indeed. And I suppose we come off the conference last week. So we were at a conference last week uh, with, I think, like two, 300 odd advisors from around Australia, which was uh, really good. And uh, there was actually some interesting speakers there. We actually got to hear from some other business owners, which was quite cool. Uh, you know, one lady that had started a croissant business, uh, one guy from Four Pillars Gin, uh, and they kind of spoke about their story and how they got started in the business and all of the, you know, the things that they've gone through to make a successful business. And there was obviously, you know, so many different things that you can actually relate to in terms of what they're saying. So it, I suppose it doesn't really matter what business or venture you're in. Everyone has the same problems that they that they go go through, which was uh, which was quite interesting. Um, yeah. And yeah, at, at the moment as well, we're actually planning out a bit of a Euro trip, Steve. So I'm going to be taking off in a in a few months and catching some sun before the uh, the kids come along in my life. So we're trying to get away and and actually see a bit of the world before life uh, gets a little bit crazier. So so uh, good good for some. It's good for yeah. some. Yeah. 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 Well, look, you, before before we go there, like the yeah. um, let's unpack last week because. There yep. were some really good speakers, yeah, and it was yep. good to see, you know, these entrepreneurs coming to the stage and bringing it all. Yeah, you know, that Four Pillars Gin based out of Melbourne, I believe the Yarra Valley, and they started yep. from scratch, never really worked in gin before, but they, they one of the partners, three partners, one of them had worked in wineries before, yep. but decided to come together as a group and, and really start up a brand new gin company and take yep. on the big boys, right, the Hendricks and the guys who really killed it in the world of gin. Yep, and then ended up beating them um, yep. and becoming number one as a global seller in some of the regions of the world. Yeah, and then we had um, the lady that started Loon Bakery in Melbourne. Yeah, and and she was originally an engineer for a motorsport company, and just totally took a tack, <laughs> and went into bake baking croissants, where she mm-hmm. learnt the skill set in France for I think she said a twelve week course adapted that back to Australia. If we think about the key takeaways and this, like I got some very similar messages last week about what those entrepreneurs, they say, what drives them and, and what they had to do to get there. What, what did you see from that? Yeah, there was, there was a lot, like some of the, I actually wrote down, obviously a lot of notes from, from the session. Um, I was just actually looking at some of them um, that I had, cause it was all about like high performance and, 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 and bits and pieces there. But a couple of them was like, you know, failure drives change. And, you know, all, all of these guys in terms of what they did in creating their businesses, like it was just constant failure, failure, failure. They didn't get to right to where they are and now it's all successful, you mm-hmm. know, in, in one go. So there was a lot of setbacks along the way. But I think the key thing there, and that doesn't have to be in business in any uh, aspect of your life when there's a, you know, set, setback or a failure, you just got to look at it and actually learn from it and then learn not to then do it again. And you become a better and, and wiser person um, because of it. And and I think one, the big, one of the biggest ones that's actually resonated with me and I forget exactly who said it, but it was when you're on top or when you think you're on top and you're doing well, change your game because you're yeah. never going to get to where you want to be or that next level of, of where you're trying to take your life personally or, or as a business, if you keep doing all of what you're doing. So you know, there were some real key ones, you know, obviously, you know, hard work and that work ethic and, you know, as business owners, you're kind of always, always on, you're dealing with all of the, 
all of all of the the crap um but being um creative as well i think was another another big one and not just sticking to the status quo of how everyone's always done it and that's probably those two that we just mentioned there with uh loon uh croissants and four pillars gin well they were both particular stories of established industries i suppose and 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 going at it in their own way and coming up with new ideas and now continuing to innovate and Mm. and take it to other levels and then build a, a kind of um, a new sort of business within a within an industry and take it to a whole whole new level. So yeah, yeah there was some some amazing some amazing takeaways. What what were some of your key ones? Yeah, that, absolutely. You could tell when they're on. So these are very successful people. But even they were talking last week, they just wanted to go again to the next level, mm. right? Which and you could just see it by them talking. Revenue streams. They constantly looked at how to create new revenue streams, and I think that you know, goes very well with what we do at Link. We're constantly looking for that next level, uh, yep. continually adapting. You know, they they and they both went through very 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 hard times. One in particular, Loon, who had a COVID shutdown in Melbourne for eighteen months or two years, yep. she had to think on her feet, and so they did pop up stands around the state, around uh, Melbourne, to be able to sell their croissants because effectively they went to zero overnight. Um, yeah, but but time and time again, they show that, okay, they get the hurdles in front of them. They just fight, find a way around it and go again. Mm-hmm. And I think just having that characteristic, and as you said in previous podcasts, you've got to be a little bit crazy to do, be able to do business. And that's a prime example of just going, right, how do you think out of the box here? It's not for everyone, but you've got to go hard and, and always think, uh, you know, that next level. Yeah. Um, and I think just always challenging yourself, never resting your laurels, just going again and continually to persist. Yeah. Um, and that just and that was a very similar theme across every single one of those successful entrepreneurs. So yeah, it was really, really resonated well. I felt. Yeah, and what you what you're talking about there is just I suppose adaptability and and for that Loon Croissant example you just said is when COVID happened down here in Melbourne, like completely shut down, mm. and could have quite easily have done nothing. And she come up with a great idea, and and I think she said her business really boomed from them. And that's when all of her social media and everything started to to take off because it was kind of all we could look forward to here in Victoria. And she was going to these different suburbs uh, every couple of weeks or so, and uh, yeah, and it was it was exciting. But that, that adaptability and um, that that open mindedness, and, and it was one other one I think. Tristan Knowles, uh, shout out to him because uh, yeah. his story, the Paralympian for Australia, I think was amazing. And I, I walked away from that um, just, you know, really amped up because his his story of what he's been through with cancer and and everything else was just, yeah, quite amazing to see his perspective and his attitude uh, still still on life. So um, yeah, there, there was a lot of, you know, it was all about growth the conference and uh, yeah, plenty of key, key takeaways and a lot um, to take away from it, which was really good. But that's yeah. not what we're talking about today, is it, Steve? No, it's not. But it gives <laughs> us a slight pivot because those people that we just spoke about have invested in business to make money. Um, and they've obviously put their heart and soul into it, and no doubt are making very good money and growth, and 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 that's fantastic to see that. Um, and that's the alternative to what we're talking about today, which is what is the alternative to investing in property? Because yep. you know Australians love property, they love investing in property, but is not the only vehicle to make money. Uh, and we've probably touched on this a little bit in prior podcasts, but we're going to dive a little deeper into it today. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's a perfect example. Last week of seeing those entrepreneurs and in business, and that is one way to make money outside of, of property is business. And you and I yep. are probably examples of that. Yeah, you know, we've invested a lot of energy, time and money into Link Wealth Group and the various entities we we own. And that's and that and that's our wealth journey. Um we've also done it with property as well, but we, we have got a lot of our wealth in property. But if we think for a minute we put business to the side, mate, in terms of you know that option, we'll probably come back to that. 
talk to me about what are the options that people have out there to to make money outside outside property and and why would you step away from that property uh, investment strategy mm, yeah it's it's a real interesting one obviously for here in australia because everyone absolutely just loves loves property and it's really just drummed into you probably from an early age your parents always like oh when are you going to buy your first home and and you know that sort of old school mindset I, I think that is a bit of an old school mindset mind you of always trying to get your first home and pay it down as soon as you can but you know your first home is never going to be your forever home so i never think of it in that sort of fashion uh, whatsoever it's more of just a foot into the market but you know if we're looking at the other options outside of property i suppose the caveat i'd say to that is i'm a big fan of property in a overall portfolio but you know, that's not what the viewers want to hear today. So we're talking uh, outside of that. So that the biggest and notable one there would be, you know, taking up business of what we've already spoken about, stripping property out of it. My next biggest investment class or investment vehicle is just a, a portfolio of, say, managed funds, ETFs, call it investing into the share market is yeah. is really my, you know, my, my three key investments are that property business and my investment portfolio of shares, managed funds, ETFs. Now, in terms of your options there, there's obviously a difference between shares uh, and say managed funds and ETFs. Managed funds and ETFs, basically the same thing. It's just how ETFs are traded is a, a little bit different, but um, like a lot of people on their investment journey, I was no different and started uh, share trading to begin when I knew absolutely nothing. And I still do have some direct shares in my portfolio, but I'm actually trying to sell down on those and, and get rid of all my direct shares because I don't, I don't tend to to sort of mess in that space uh, anymore. And I prefer to use, you know, an ETF managed fund, you know, index um, type approach with a lot of my investments. But that's definitely probably my number one alternative to, to going into property is starting to consider looking at, say, the share market and looking at those those other types of investments. Um, but of course, that also comes down to, you know, your risk appetite and, and what are you doing with your money as well is another key thing. Like if it's a long-term investment, shares, managed funds, ETFs, perfect. If you're investing for eight to 10 years, you want to get that growth exposure where you can really benefit from those compounded returns. But maybe if you're closer to retirement or maybe you just need a you're only investing for a couple of years because maybe you're trying to save some money for something. Maybe it's a Europe trip. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it is buying a property in future. You might not want to be as aggressive with some of your investment if you do have a short time frame for investing. So that's probably a key thing to to really uh, understand there. But um, th there is a big drawback of um, not having the property in there as well because of the leverage, which we might touch on of of why the appeal is with uh, for property. But uh, yeah, what, what else did you have there, Steve? Yeah. Um, so look, I, I think from a set and forget strategy, you know, ETS managed funds, you, you, you can't go wrong, right? Because if you're time poor, you don't have time to really look at day to day what's going on. I'm a huge believer in ETS because you can just stick it in, let it go, let it run and just keep yeah. investing in it. You don't even really have to look at it, right? You invest in thousands of companies around the world in Australia. Let, just let it do its job. Just keep investing. Um, but then if you've got lots of time on your hands or you really want to get uh, knowledgeable or get your hands dirty, there's plenty of other options out there. So there's listed investment companies, the listed on the stock exchange, they invest in other businesses to, to grow wealth, um, listed investment trusts. So they're also listed on the stock exchange. But there's also plenty of unlisted uh, types of investments. So you can go into sort of private equity vehicles. I know a lot of funds out there that invest in, you know, they're, they're funds. So you're investing in you know, a fund with lots of other people and then that money's pulled together and they, that, that fund manager or person goes out and buys other assets in that fund. But there's plenty out there and plenty of companies out there that do other types of investments like agriculture um, is a big one. So investing in water funds, for instance, where you can buy water entitlements and invest mm -hmm. in that. 
you know, uh, buying farms or, or agriculture, almond farms, avocado farms, whatever it may be, you know, there, there's so many different options out there. Look, a lot of times some of these options um, are only available to wholesale investors, which is you, you've got to have a certain level of income and a certain level of asset base to be able to get access to those. As you see, they, they see you as a sophisticated investor compared to retail investors, where retail investors are your, your, your general uh, lower income or medium incomes, um, a bit less educated, uh, hence why you can't quite get access to them. But if you're in a different type of category, depending on where, what, what part of the journey, wealth journey you're on, you've really got other options you can think about outside the normal listed managed funds or listed ETFs or buying individual shares for that matter so mm. i think it's about getting educated if, if you want to know more get in touch with a, an advisor that knows what they're talking about in this space um and it you can really open up your world you know a lot of the clients i deal with now we have those conversations right like because you've set up an etf portfolio management portfolio you've got your property you've got business um what's next and there are some very good options out there in the world of investing that you can get access to yeah, and I guess if you don't want to actually buy a physical property, which is what we're talking about here, you can still get property exposure through the means of what you were just saying, uh, REITs. So real estate investment trusts is a way. Yep. And, and that's typically, you know, we we do have property exposure in our investment portfolios through using REITs, which basically invest typically in more commercial type assets uh, within a fund. So you can buy an investment option that does give you some broad property exposure without you actually having to go out and buy a direct residential or an investment property uh, for that matter. But another one you, you're touching on there, Stephen, is always, so I see some some people always get confused um, between managed funds and ETFs because they're similar, but they're not exactly the same thing. Can you just explain in simple terms, like what is the difference between investing through a managed fund versus the ETF, uh, versus the ETF? Like what's the major differences there? Yeah, the, the, the single major difference is an ETF is listed on a stock exchange. So it's got a daily share price, like a share. You can buy and sell that share whenever you want uh, and get the money back very quickly. Um, it's very liquid because it's on a share. You know, that, that share price is exactly what you'll get today if you sell it or buy it, right? Um, a managed fund is not listed on a stock exchange. So it is a fund manager. Um, you generally get access to them through platforms, investment platforms you're buying units in the fund. So an ETF is like a share price, you're buying that share price. Uh, a managed fund is you're buying units in the fund itself. Um, and it's managed by a fund manager who generally is a bit more active. So they're, you know, generally you're buying an active fund manager generally, where an ETF is generally always passive. And what I mean by that is, is yes, there is a, a, a manager of the like who is managing the money and making sure we're buying and executing the right trades, but it's generally just buying an index or a set set um, specific group of shares that are very similar. For instance, an ETF, you're generally buying the ASX 200, for instance, where it's the top 200 stocks on the ASX, and that's all it will do. The, the manager will make sure that that's executed correctly, but that's all they're doing. And hence why they're super cheap, super cheap, where a fund manager will be buying and selling those assets maybe daily, maybe weekly, maybe yearly, yep. uh, depending what type of fund management we're buying, but it's not listed. I think that's the biggest part of it. They're not listed yep. on a stock exchange. Um, and generally, if you want a passive strategy, very much set and forget, not even watch it, well, maybe an ETF strategy is for you because it is the index passive way to invest, yep. very low cost. <clears throat> if you want to get a bit more hands-on, a bit more active, yes, you can buy a fund that does index-based investing, absolutely. 
uh, generally probably not as cheap as an ETF in general. But if you want an active manager that goes out there and really is you know, actively in the market trying to seek that alpha or extra return, you'll go to a, a fund manager specifically to do that, right? Because uh, they won't be in an ETF in general. So that's yep. probably the major difference. But I like ETFs because of liquidity. You, you take away the risk because end of the day, that fund manager can stop redemption. So if, if you want to get your, your money back and for some reason that a lot of people have started to liquidate their holdings of that funds at some stage, the fund manager may choose to stop redemption and you can't get your money back. That It's very unlikely, but it is a risk that is there. Yep. Um, and also you get your money back very quickly when it comes to ETS because listed on the stock exchange and within three days you get your money back. So just yep. a couple of things, but they are very similar. They're yep. very similar, very similar, yeah. An interesting point you said there about the uh, where you can your money can be sort of locked up because we're talking about property and that's actually where some of those funds it's actually happened yeah. with those types of property funds in the past when the GFC I remember um, I wasn't in the industry back then but I did see yeah. clients that I when I started working in the industry around 2017 2018 they actually had some property funds that were still actually locked up and they couldn't get their money out of the funds yeah. all the way from back in 20 uh, 2008 2009 odd yeah, yeah, so. Yeah. You know, funds were still locked up, which was which was crazy to see. But um, yeah. this is this is a big big question. Then, what about you know, is it possible to build wealth without then buying property? Like, what what do you what do you think there? Like, do you, is it truly possible to build, you know, a vast amount of wealth or a good amount of wealth without having you know that exposure to property or owning a property or an investment property, whatever it may be? Absolutely, absolutely. But I'd say the second part of calls business. Yeah, mm. you you could make a hell of a lot of money in business if it's not property business it, it's rather difficult to just build a, a lot of wealth through you know buying into the market in ETS or managed funds or shares for that matter unless you've got yeah. a significant amount of money being yeah. pumped into it it is very very difficult and to be honest I haven't seen in my career a lot of people being successful in building a hell of a lot of wealth if it's not with property or business but yeah. absolutely if it's not property and definitely property is not for everyone Business has to be the go-to if you want to make a lot of money. It depends what your goals yep. are and what you're trying to hit to and what is a lot of money to that person. That differs for everyone as well. Yep. But in my view, it's either one or the other, property or or business. Ideally, you want both, right? Mm -hmm. um, but absolutely, outside of property, you know, managed funds, ETFs, et cetera, are very, very good as part of those portfolios. Um, you, you just – and if you – Look, if you're not in business and not in property, but you still want to make wealth, absolutely we can get there, but it's just going to take a lot longer. Yeah, we yep. need a long journey, 20 years of investing, just keep on pumping it in, keep on pumping it in, and you'll get there, but it's just yep. going to take a lot, lot longer. Yeah, because I think a key difference there, and, and this I suppose applies with business and property, because both of them provide you the ability to leverage, and I suppose in different ways though, and that's the real key difference between say shares, managed funds, ETFs versus buying property. Because if you if you have a hundred thousand dollars of cash, you could put a hundred thousand dollars into an ETF or a managed fund or some shares. Whereas with that hundred thousand dollars, depending upon what you're earning as well, of course here. You could potentially go out and buy a five or a six hundred thousand dollar property with that hundred thousand dollars as your down deposit, plus your stamp duty. Of course, assuming you got enough enough income to then borrow the for the loan, because you are taking on debt to acquire the yep. acquire that property. Uh, and that that's really the key difference there is the the leverage. So if you compare that, you know, putting a hundred thousand into the shares, you've only got a hundred thousand dollars of asset, whereas you put a hundred thousand dollars into that property, you've now got a six hundred thousand dollar asset. So 
the leverage that it provides you, I, I think without ha having it in your portfolio, it, it's not making it impossible, but it does make it a lot more difficult to to not yeah. grow your wealth because of that leverage. Because you're using, I call it OPM, other people's money. You're using the yeah. bank's money to help build your wealth. And that can also apply with business because you can use debt to acquire other businesses and, and parts that we do within Link Wealth Group uh, itself. But then you can also think about leverage uh, in the business, I think, in a slightly different way because you're kind of, you know, as a business owner uh, and running a business, you're leveraging on other people's skill sets and all of your staff as well. So it's not just you running a, a business and you're just running and doing every single thing yourself. You're leveraging off everyone else's capability to then create something better. So that that leverage that you get through property may be slightly different um, in terms of taking out money and borrowing um, or taking out loans. But with property, you get that that leverage as well, just from the the staff that you can be working with, and collectively you're going to achieve bigger things rather than trying to do it yourself. That's right. Like you know, Link's prime example, right? We've got 60 staff, uh, and, and you could be able to leverage a nice little link with a hundred grand loan, right? Yeah. That was all. I took a loan off my mum's house for a hundred grand, and that was the start of Link, right, with one person. So yeah, that just. But I, I was only able to scale it up through other people, through what you just said, by taking on debt, to invest in other, like bring on other businesses into the model, and that got us up and going. But if I couldn't take on that debt, we probably would have been back, you know, back at square one, right? So yeah, you're hundred percent right. You need to be able to scale up. But and and look, you can take on debt and scale up through shares and managed funds as well. There, there is an option to do that, but you just got to get the balance up sooner. It's harder to get the debt. It's more expensive to get the debt. So the ROI has to be higher. Um, so there's a range of things sort of working against you, but absolutely it's an option. It's just about timing it right, getting the right, you know, set up correctly. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, no, absolutely. It's it's just about getting it all done. And um, and and Meg, what 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 are some of the other things people should be thinking about if they're not going property apart from just investing in general? What what are some of the other if we step away from the wealth or money side of things and about property and what's like what what are some of the benefits of not doing property compared to doing property apart from the you know the monetary side? Yeah, well, there's the stresses of actually having property. That's, yeah. the, that's the biggest one. So, you know, if yeah. you've got a share or an investment portfolio, you don't really have anything to manage. Like yeah. you get it, you get your statement, you can log in, look at it, see the value of it. Whereas with your property, I can even talk from personal experience. Like with one of my properties, I've just gone through a period where the tenant didn't pay for two months yeah, and right. fortunately did pay. But now I've, I've even got a client at the moment who's done a similar strategy to me in terms of rent vesting. And they moved out of their home, started renting it. Uh, bought an investment property and then started renting uh, in a new place. So they've done a typical rent vesting strategy. Within one month, the tenant stopped paying and it's been dragging on now for probably four or five months. That tenant started painting half the house, kicking in holes. This is a legitimate story as well. Oh, yeah. I was just speaking to them the other day. Uh, terrible, terrible to hear about, but that's that's actually some of the risk. Now that's a severe scenario though. That's a very, really severe scenario. But when, when you've got property, you have stuff to manage. Things can yeah. fix, you know, upkeep and and all of those uh, bits and pieces so there's a lot more to actually think about if you're trying to build your wealth through property as opposed to just put it in and that's why i actually like my investment portfolio because i just put money into it whenever whenever i want which is every single fortnight i invest into that portfolio and it just really set and forget i don't need to think about it whereas with you know with my properties property managers pinging me all the time um you know i had an issue with one of the tenants and and because of the protections and laws with particularly if we're talking investment properties they're not great no. so if something if something goes wrong you got a lot, a lot of headaches there and and like i said my other clients have had to go through vcat and it's been it's been quite painful but uh yeah what what else what else would you say there steve 
Yeah, you're 100% right. Like, again, personal experience, I had to replace my timber floor, you know, not long ago, it was 10 grand just from the floor. So, you know, there's four months of rent gone. So, yeah, it's amazing the upkeep that, yeah, and I don't think people sometimes when they're getting into investing in properties don't really understand. Sometimes they think it's all, you know, easy and and there's no cost, but the maintenance of a property is horrendous sometimes. Um, So, yeah, I think you really got to do your homework. Um, Yeah, I think just stress-free, free, free, you know, you don't have to worry about shares and managed funds, ETS, just let it roll. That's, that's, That's amazing. Um, uh, yeah, but then there's taxation considerations. Um, I think one thing in Australia that we've got to be mindful of is a thing called franking credits. Uh, and that that is a huge benefit to high marginal income earners because yep. you're effectively getting a lot of tax back uh, through your investments in the Australian share market. So this is only specifically if you're investing in the Australian share market. Yep. We have a considerably favourable system when it comes to getting corporate tax that's already paid by those companies given back to the individuals. Yep. Uh, and it's huge. It's huge. So I think people really need to consider that taxation system and what that benefit is because the kicker is massive. So you might look at a, a return on a fund and go, oh, that hasn't performed too well. But then when you consider the taxation that you get back from that investment, uh, similar to negative gearing, but if you combine the passive income, no stress, no issues, and then all of a sudden you get this huge tax credit back to you as a high income earner, got to do your numbers because it's uh, it can be very, very good. Well, I think that's a good point to sort of finish on there, Steve, is uh, property, again, property can be a really good well, uh, asset to build your wealth because we've spoken about leverage. But in terms of actually getting to retirement, it's generally not that great of an asset to hold in retirement because of, you know, some of what you're saying there, like franking credits, mm-hmm. uh, you know, liquidity. So you can't just take five or $10,000 out of your property. Like you can't just cut off a slice of it and, and cash that in. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you got you got to sell it. You're up for taxes and things like that. Whereas when you have an investment portfolio, it's so much more liquid. So property is really good to scale up. But mm. when it comes time to actually retiring, it's generally not the the greatest asset. Now, I've got some clients with some decent, really large portfolios, you know, over 10 million. And uh, that, the amount of land tax and expenses they still have outgoing in retirement is just ridiculous. Yeah. And and that's where they're, they're looking at slowly having to, to trim down on it. But the property's done its role in terms of building and scaling their wealth but in terms of at retirement that liquidity and you know franking credits and taxation uh i think i think is a real huge one yep definitely cool well guys that's all we've got time for today so again um appreciate everyone that is listening in and if you are getting some value from this uh five stars on spotify and apple greatly appreciated and Feel free to uh, check out the website as always. If you do want to actually chat about your personal situation and possibly get some advice or chat with one of the advisors, not just Steve or myself, feel free to uh, jump on their websites. But um, besides that, Steve, uh, we'll finish here and I'll see you on the next one, mate. See you, mate. Bye. Catch you.